Salutations. This is the Untitled Josh Cast, episode number 54. My name is Josh Gershman. I am joined, as always, and once again, after taking a week off to recover from the vid, Josh Hammond. I feel like I should just go hi-ho here really expressively because yes. of the episode. But I, I can't. I, that's just, I don't have, I don't have those emotions in life. So hi, friends. Welcome to our weekly podcast of pop culture, news, politics, or whatever else we feel like talking about. To interact with the show and for updates on future episodes and other fun stuff, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at JoshCastPod. You can also catch us weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash untitledjoshcast. If you would like to support the show, you can subscribe to us on Twitch using your Amazon Prime account or via a regular subscription or on Patreon at patreon.com slash untitledjoshcast. Now, back to the show. That was a very appropriate hello, because on this week's episode of the podcast, we are talking about the Muppets, the capital M Muppets, the brand, the Muppets. Now, before we get into any of this, Muppet is probably like the most famous portmanteau of all time, the combination of two words. Do you know what Jim, do you know what what Muppet uh, is a combination of? No. It's actually, Lucy, do you know before I reveal the answer? I want to say one of them is puppet and the other one is, I want to say monster, but that can't be right. So like that's, that's a really good first guess because if you think of Pokemon, you got pocket monsters, Digimon, you got digital monsters. It's not monster puppet for Muppet. It is marionette and puppet. Huh. I got one of them right. You did. That's interesting. So now the Muppets, the capital M Muppets, the brand Muppets, were created by Jim Henson in 1955, which was far earlier than I had even realized. The Muppets first, well, the this first appearance was not a television show that was called the Muppets at all. Um, it was, in fact, a show that Jim Henson created with his later wife, uh, Jane Henson, Jane Nabel, Nebel at the time, called Sam and Friends, which was like a five minute variety show in the vein of you would recognize it instantly as a Muppet show. Now, here is this is again in the 50s. This ran from 1955 to 1961. This is the description from Wikipedia of Sam and Friends. The series focused mostly on mostly on Sam a bald-headed, big-eared human who was a puppet, not a human-human, a bald-headed, big-eared human who escaped the harshness of everyday life with the help of abstract friends that he created based on parts of his life. His friends included Yorick, Harry the Hipster, Professor Madcliffe, Chicken Liver, and a lizard-like character named Kermit. So Kermit at the time was called Kermit the Thing. The lizard would later evolve into fellow amphibian Kermit the Frog. Wait, are lizards amphibians or reptiles? I feel like I already got that wrong. My point is the lizard Kermit would later evolve into the frog Kermit that we all that we all know and love. Lucy is Googling. They're they're reptiles. Okay, so from reptile Kermit to amphibian Kermit. 
that was the transformation that was that was happening here. Um, it was also during this show that Jim Henson and the Frank Oz Jim Henson partnership began when Frank Oz was only 19, which is bonkers to me. He then worked with Henson and on assorted Muppet projects for more than 30 years. Um, the one of the interesting things I like about Frank Oz is that like he never wanted to do this. <clears throat> Neither did Jim Henson, actually. He just kind of stumbled into puppetry when he was in high school. And then Jim Henson, uh, Frank Oz, similarly, he wanted to be a journalist. Um, and throughout his throughout the 30 years in which he was also making Muppet stuff, he was an actor and a director um, in really funny things, both writing and directing really funny things. Uh, and obviously, of course, he's been the voice of Yoda since 1977. So he's had a pretty big impact there, too. He but, also was very, very influential in creating the Audrey 2 for Little Shop of Horrors. That's right. Just like, you know, we're going to we're going to get into a lot later in this episode about just the lasting impact and legacy of Jim Henson and of the Muppets. But it just has created this universe of things. And also it has created the language in which we talk about things that, you know, the term Muppet is used both in the capital M and the lowercase M sense. Um, and it's very much because of like because of Jim Henson's work in creating this universe and then creating this way of storytelling that has then just become kind of so belovedly adopted really everywhere else. Uh, so now. Sam and Friends ends in 1961. That's where Sesame Street picks up in the late 60s. Um, Sesame Street was a huge thing. That was a partnership between Sesame Workshop, which was called the Children's Theater Workshop, at, no, Children's Television Workshop at the time, uh, and the Jim Henson Studios to create this like educational programming. Um, that was certainly my first introduction to the Muppets and to like these characters. And then there was the Muppet Show, the late night sketch show, which I'll talk about. I'll get back to that in a minute from 1976 to 1981. Um, so for me, well, let's talk about our first introductions to this world of marionette puppetry. Uh, I think for me and for a lot of people, certainly of our generation and of our age, it would have to be Sesame Street. I think that was PBS was such like an ever present thing in my house anyway, because I didn't grow up with cable. So like PBS was the non-traditional or non-regular programming in my house anyway. But um I was just instantly drawn. I was instantly drawn to these Sesame Street characters, mostly because like they are. Like, I think in Sesame Street's canon, all of the Muppets are kids, basically, or like they're like they have the the intellectual capacity. I don't even I don't mean that in a negative way, but like they're intellectually children also. So like I think as kids, it's very naturally it's very easy to be drawn to them. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think Sesame Street was where it started for me as well. I um, I can remember as a kid, like Sesame Street, and I think they still do things like this. I'm just 40, so I don't pay attention to it. But there was a lot of like traveling, like arena tours where like they would have like live shows for Sesame Street. And I would remember being so pumped for them and like sitting in the front row and like jazzed for the puppets to come into the crowd and like i was ready to like a tackle big bird every time that he came to wichita so that was for me that was the first the first real introduction that i can think of as well now the 
Sesame Street was a just incredibly popular and successful um, uh, education program. It was on PBS and other, I guess, other public television formats uh, at the time. Um, the reason for its popularity is theorized that kids are dumb and have short attention spans. So if you can grab their attention with something, you can then trick them into learning. So like that's the that's the hook behind shows like Sesame Street. Now, while that might be true and kids are not the smartest, I think the show the show is still much better than that. Like it deserves so much more credit than just, oh, it's how you trick kids into learning. And I think that's that's wherein lies like the secret sauce of Sesame Street is that like, yes, it can do this. And yes, it was for me and a lot of people uh, a great educational tool and a, a way to be engaged. And like you, what you, Josh, what you missed last week was our childhood movie episode and what I talked about, and I, I, I am a positive this would be the same for you. We spent a lot of quality time in front of the babysitter television growing up. And so like this was a way Sesame Street was not watching 80s movies, right? It was watching something that was like actually educational that we would learn from and take, you know, take away from, um, get something productive out of. Not that watching Back to the Future on a Loop wasn't productive, but this was like a, you know, an added bonus to that. Yeah, I was a weird kid with a weird mom. So my babysitter, was, I was allowed to watch MTV, but I that's not exactly the same level of education as, you know, follow that bird. But it's I guess it's close. I. I, I knew what flock of seagulls were, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. We'll get into some more. I have I have some more notes and things about Sesame Street later. Um but mainly what I wanted to what I wanted to get into before really anything else was how difficult it was for me to try and write anything about the Muppets. Like this is uh, the Muppet universe is something I feel like I feel so close to and something I am just so attached to that. What I've done is I, I did like a like a chronology of Muppet appearances from TVs and movies. And we'll get I would like to go through all this because it's like a fun history of Muppet things and some other fun facts about stuff. But. I found it really difficult to start to try no, to try to start to like write down thoughts and feelings about the Muppets like. My feelings about the Muppets, my thoughts about the Muppets, like those things that exist inside of my body are very hard to explain. Um, other than just talking in circles about how great it is. So. Instead of talking in circles about how great it is. Um, I have some things that I'll mention, obviously, as we go through the Muppet timeline of, you know, like important Muppet, important moments in Muppet Josh history, basically. Yeah, I think it's logical that you you feel that way, that it's like it's not an emotion that you can really express because I don't think that it is accessible that way. It's such a ingrained thing in how we grew up that I think it's like 
trying to express kindergarten. Like it's just, it's just part of you. It's just mm-hmm. like a thing that happened that shaped you that it's not a feeling. It's just a level of your life, I guess, is the the thing. I just, I don't think you can separate it from the time you went to a skating rink and the redheaded girl you had a crush on pushed you down and you broke your collarbone and how devastated you were. Like, I think that like, that's an, that's an emotion that you had a reaction to. I think that like for all of us, like Jim Henson's creations in a way were just like, they were family. They were just part of us. I agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what I was struggling to try and write down. I just couldn't, I just couldn't get there. What, um, what I want to get to next in the Muppet timeline is a perfect segue into this. And that's the Muppet show, which ran from 1976 to 1981, which was, uh, it's just the best sketch and variety show of all time. It's better than Saturday Night Live. It's not, not even, that's not even a question. Um, ironically, the Muppets got started on, on Saturday Night Live and they were like, yeah, this isn't working for us. And well, I didn't get started, but the Muppets appearances on Saturday Night Live predate the Muppet show. And Jim Henson and co, they were like, yeah, this isn't working for us. So what they did is they went and made their own thing, but better. Um, Amongst the many great things that happened on The Muppet Show, they never let a host guest more than once. They never let a, yeah, that's, that's, that's the correct sentence, which I don't know, maybe something SNL could learn from. But it's just like The Muppet Show First of all, it, 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 it stopped airing in 1981. So obviously you and I weren't watching it. I did not like come to learn what this show was until much, much later. But it was such like, it, ah, way too early for its time. You know, the fact that it got five seasons on TV is akin to like shows that shows from the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s just ran forever regardless. Shows did not get canceled unless they were really terrible um, or there was other issues going on. Shows didn't get canceled back then like they get now where you get a half a season and you get canceled. Um, not that this would have happened with The Muppet Show. The Muppet Show was great. But it's just like the it is the the peak of 70s and 80s comedy. And it is outstanding. I was flipping through a little bit earlier this afternoon just to watch a few episodes. And the first one I put on was the Steve Martin episode. It's in season two. Uh, the series is, by the way, streaming on Disney Plus if you want to go watch it. So what they what the premise of this episode, sorry, the premise of The Muppet Show is that The Muppets put on a weekly sketch and variety show where they have a celebrity guest come and host and he, the celebrity guest gets to be involved in sketches and they do all kinds of fun Muppet stuff. The premise of this episode with Steve Martin is that they booked Steve Martin on the same night that they're supposed to do auditions. So they go into Steve Martin's dressing room and they're like, I'm sorry, Mr. Martin, the show's canceled tonight because we have to do auditions. And he's like, well, I'm already here. And he's like, all right, well, Steve, I'm sorry. It's great that you're here, but we have other stuff to do. It's just like totally disregarding Steve Martin, which is fantastic. So then the whole episode is them doing um, auditions from other Muppet acts trying to get on the Muppet show interspersed with Steve Martin doing his a couple of his acts trying to get on the Muppet show. It's just like. It's just the best. It's the best comedy. This gets into this. Okay, this is one of my points. The Muppets were created for adults. Unlike other kinds of popular media that kids enjoy, they were created for kids. The Muppets were created for an adult audience. 
And the fact that it works for kids is a bonus, but it's like good in the obviously in the Sesame Street sense. That's why Sesame Street is also so good, because you had these characters that were created for an adult audience, then re kind of like reshaped for for a kid's audience. Um, as we said before, some of them up, some of the characters on Sesame Street are only intended to be kids like Big Bird. She is intent only intended to be like 12 or 10 years old or something like that's Big Bird's persona is of a 10 year old girl. Um, but like Kermit and the Count and Cookie Monster is a grown up. Like, let's be honest, like he takes his dietary choices into his own hands. He knows what he's doing. Um, the other characters are just, they're just there. The Muppet show, that's where it succeeds in this regard is that it's a show for adults. It's not, it's not like the show is only ever PG. Like it doesn't go anywhere beyond that, but it's humor and it's an intention. And certainly it's use of celebrities is very much in their element. Like it's not when a celebrity is on Sesame street, it's a celebrity doing children's programming. When a celebrity is on The Muppet Show, it's them having fun with the Muppets in their own environment. You know, like at the end of the Steve Martin episode, he plays a song with um, with the Muppet Jug Band. And that's just Steve Martin with the banjo doing Steve Martin things. It's not kids programming featuring Steve Martin. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's Disney has done a pretty good job of like repositioning them into a safe area for that but like they've hidden the fact that the first episode of the muppet show was called the muppet show sex and violence yep like it's it was never really intended to be what it became but they were just so enjoyable which is the story i tell later is going to be hilarious based on that but it's it's funny that like it didn't end up where it started. And I think that's also why Sesame Street was so successful because it was only half, it was only 50% Henson. I'm not sure about the actual math, but essentially 50% the Jim Henson company, 50% Sesame Workshop slash the children's television workshop. Uh, and so the Jim Henson company basically like let, they basically use their characters in this way, but the rest of the Muppet programming was always going to be for a broader, older audience. Um, the show is just great. You have to watch it. There are classic episodes. Vincent Price, um, just outstanding. I can't remember what else I watched earlier. Oh, John Cleese. I was watching the John Cleese one earlier this afternoon. Like there, there are, there are just performers here who are, you're getting the most, you're getting the most for your money watching the Muppet show from this era with these people. Uh, it's just can't, it can't be beat. Now we transition here from the TV era of Muppets into the film era of Muppets. So the first three Muppet movies came out in 1979, 81, and then 84. We had the Muppet movie, which is where the rainbow connection originates. The billboard charting rainbow connection, the great Muppet caper, in 1981, which is also good. And my favorite movie, one of my, my favorite Muppet movie, hands down, is The Muppets Take Manhattan. 1984? Yes. So it's been 
a fuck ton of years since this came out. That's correct. They still to this day haven't revealed publicly how they did the scene where Kermit is standing on the bike and the bike is going in a circle because you're so panned back Mm -hmm. and you can see everything. You can tell that there's no car beside it moving the pedals or anything like that, like all of the other tricks and in interviews ever since, like even his kids, they're like, yeah, we know how it was done. We're not telling you it's been this long and you haven't figured it out. That's why we're still good. It's the magic, the magic of the movies. And specifically, actually, this is a great point. The magic of the Muppets, because what the Muppets did is literally reframe how movies are shot. Like when you watch when you watch the Muppets in any format in this early TV era or in this early movie era, there are scenes that are at human, the human frame size. And then there are scenes at the Muppet frame size, which obviously means you got to pan, you got to, you got to zoom in much closer because you're only seeing them from like the chest up. Or if you're seeing their legs, their legs are hanging over a ledge or something. And all of the human actors that are interacting with the Muppets are all located accordingly so that the shot looks natural and like nothing has changed at all. That was, it's just like a a little bit, a little bit of movie magic. Like there's, um, there's a famous bit of this from the Lord of the Rings movies where how they shot Gandalf and Frodo where like Ian McKellen is probably a little bit taller in real life than Elijah Wood. Well, Elijah Wood is like my height and Ian McKellen is taller than me. So like there's a height difference between them. But in the film, obviously Gandalf is human size and Frodo is hobbit size. And so they had to do all these movie tricks where if you see behind the scenes photos, you see like how they move them farther away from one another or they move the camera angle in certain ways. And like, obviously that's how you do humans of different scales. But on the Muppets, obviously they weren't doing that because you have a Muppet that's Muppet sized. The size of the Muppets never changes. And then you have whatever human actors they're interacting with. And so in, in this movie, there are so many different scenes which play with our like optical perception of things. I'm thinking specifically of um, Miss Piggy gets a job in a department store and she works with, um, oh my God, what's her name? Who was the, I'm totally blanking on her name. She was the, she did all the fashion police stuff on E and then her daughter started to do it. Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. So Miss Piggy works in this department store makeup counter with Joan Rivers. It's just amazing. And like, you see exactly what you need to see. No more, no less. Just, oh, just great. There's a lot of scenes like that. Um, Lucy has her, Lucy has her hand raised. So I, this could be a fun fact for later, but I found this. So I want to share it now. So yes, they have not ever fully explained the bicycle sequence from um, that movie. However, there is an article on uh, Henson.com that is, uh, it says historical information provided by the Jim Henson company uh, archivist. And in order for um, him to be considered for a visual effects Academy award, he had to, d- to detail uh, specific scenes or some scenes. So he describes how he does the scene um, in 
I actually don't know if it specifies exactly which movie, um, but it's the one where um, all the, it's a variety of characters who are riding bikes in the same scene together. Hmm. And so in it, he talks about um, how he needed to use a variety of things, including a crane and different platforms because they needed to make some of them look like they're riding side by side, but also there's other, there's other characters around them going in circles. It's a very interesting, um, little tidbit. There are also some photos on it that actually show out the initial plan that he mapped out and how he did it. So that's, it's very cool. And I highly suggest looking at it. In that scene, something else that he talks about is, do you see the little kids beside them riding the bike? Like, can you see that those are his kids? Yeah. His kids are riding bikes with the Muppets while they're filming the thing. It's cool because in this, um, and I, I will send it to both of you, uh, if you guys would like, also like to see it, there are photos of, um, of the, of the crane. Um, and also Brian Henson marionetting the scooter, or marionetting scooter on a bicycle, um, which is the one from Muppet Take Manhattan. Um, so I guess it's technically, I guess the big scene is from, nope, it's the Great Muppet Caper is where all of them are in it. But there is a photo of them doing it in Muppet Take Manhattan as well. If cool. the two of you haven't done this yet, I have. I think Gersh has. Both of you have to go to the Museum of Moving Pictures, Museum of Moving Image. One of the two in Astoria, New York. There's a section of the museum that is 100% dedicated to Jim Hansen. And they have like full screen videos of the thing that you just depicted, like verbally. But beside it, they have like the actual artifacts, like they actually have the bike and like the Muppets. And there's all sorts of other really cool things in it. Um, the Muppet Show sign itself is actually there. So you can like see it and how big it was. And it's a really cool museum. It's just an added bonus. You pay your admission. You get the whole museum, which has a bunch of other really cool things in it. And you get access to Muppets, Fraggles. They have David Bowie's outfit from Dark Crystal. I mean, from Labyrinth. They have Dark Crystal Muppets. It's it's really cool that all of this is there and it's like $15. So it's like crazy. Awesome. That's very cool. I I have not been, that's very exciting. It's interesting too, though, in this, the, apparently the article is from, um, uh, his book or Jim Henson's red book in imagination illustrated the Jim Henson journal. It's just very interesting because there are, actual there are photos of like the storyboard from one of the scenes and it's just very cool to see all right that is cool i'll have to look that up as well um getting back to the muppet steak manhattan such great celebrity cameos gregory hines one of my favorites uh gregory hines of course famous for so many things just fantastic in history of the world part one but in this movie just roller skating through the park in the tiniest shorts you've ever seen just a hilarious scene with miss piggy uh, this movie was actually the last film made before Jim Henson died. So it's a little bit, it's so it's special in that regard. It is also very important in Muppet history because it introduced the Muppet babies. There was like a fantasy sequence 
in this movie that introduced the Muppet Babies, which would obviously then go on to become uh, a, a very popular and lovely cartoon. What what I love about this movie more than others is how much it puts the Muppets into the human world. And that's what my second big point about the Muppets is that they are intended to exist with humans. Unlike, again, last week, and apologies because you weren't on this episode, last week I talked a lot about Who Framed Roger Rabbit um, as one of my childhood favorites because it like it is this incredible blend of live action and animated characters. This is, the Muppets are, are the Muppet is it's entirely live action, right? You have people and then you have Muppets. And there's never any, all the Muppets, with the exception of a couple, are animals of some kind or animal-like, right? For the most part. There's a lot of animals. There's a lot of like human, human-like Muppets. But of the what my, my point is, of the ones that are animals, it's never weird why they're animals. Uh, there's a scene in, in, there's a scene in this movie, Muppets Take Manhattan, when Rizzo and the rest of the rats get a job at the restaurant where, um, oh my God, I can't remember the girl in this movie. Anyway, they get a job at this restaurant uh, and they just say like, oh, the rats are working in the kitchen. And like the customers are like, ah, rats, but they're, they're just rats. Like there's, it's like, so they are accepted as rats, but it's not weird that they're walking, talking, cooking and cleaning rats. And in the same way, um, the, it's just so great. Like that's what the magic of the Muppet universe is that they all exist and are accepted as these living things in this universe. It's never weird that there's a talking frog and is talking bear best friend. Like they're just part of the universe and it never, it never tries to trick you into that either. Like it never, it, there's never anything where it's like, you know, these are your imaginary talking animal friends or your imaginary talking scientist friends. Shout out to, um, Beaker and Bunsen. They're just there in, they're just there living in this world. You know, it's never, it's not weird that Miss Piggy is a pig who's an actress She's just a pig who's an actress and that's what you accept. And when the scene and it, unfortunately it's a, it's a it is a criminally short scene with her and Joan Rivers at the makeup counter. It's just perfect because the two of them are talking. Miss Piggy at the time is talking about like her quote, her problems with Kermit and that what did they break up? Did they not? And so it's like, the two of them talking about relationship troubles while trying on makeup. It's like the most normal thing you would see in a movie uh, or in anything of two women talking to one another about relationships and makeup tips. But one of them is Joan Rivers and one of them is a pig. But there's no like it's not, and it's also the also the other genius part of this is not played for a joke either. Like it's played completely earnestly. It's funny to us because Miss Piggy is a Muppet and Joan Rivers is a Muppet. So it's funny to us and they're being hilarious in the scene, but it's played entirely straight. It's just like it's just part of the magic of the Muppets and the genius of this universe that they exist right alongside us um, without any like there's no dissonance between that. There's never any questioning why that exists at all. Could 
couldn't couldn't find my mute button until <laughs> right now. I didn't know this. Did you know that the Muppets Take Manhattan is a converted comic book for Marvel? I did not know that, but now I'm going to have to track down some of these issues. That's amazing, right? It's pretty cool. When did this come it's out? The, um, it is the Marvel Super Special number thirty-two, and it came out in nineteen seventy-eight. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. It's pretty wild. So the premise of Muppets Take Manhattan, if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a while, is that the Muppets are living in their small town and they have uh, they've created this musical and they want to try to get it produced on Broadway. And so that's why they all go to New York to try to get this musical produced. It's like it's oh, it's just perfect. It's just great. All the movies, all that like romantic like movie history of like going to L.A. to make it as an actor or going to New York. It's like that. Except it's the Muppets and it's on Broadway and it's just, it's just perfect. I just love it's it so much. Pretty, it's pretty great. I, I swear by the fact that the Muppets were the greatest thing ever created, not just the Muppets, but all of Jim Henson's things. There's some cool like facts about how like impactful like the Muppets were. Like, I think it's hard today to explain like the global reach of the Muppets because I just don't think that it hits the same way today that it did then. Like people are like, what the fuck? Why? It's a puppet. Who cares? Um, but like things like this were really big then. Like you had Alf, you had dinosaurs, you had all sorts of shit that would just never function today, I guess. Um, but I mean, to put it in perspective, like Kermit the Frog once testified before the U.S. Congress. Sure like, did. It was that big of a thing. Um, Miss Piggy has appeared on the cover of six different magazines, which is a giant deal. Um, it's just, it's hard to imagine comparing it to something today that is weird in the way that the Muppets were but also as gigantic as the Muppets. There are other big pop culture franchises. Um, Star Wars, your Harry Potters, your Star Treks, although that's like unique to really me only. But there are other big franchises that have this global appeal. But you can't do the same things with those that you can do with the Muppets. Like there is literally no limit to genre or type of content or medium that you that there's no limit to what you could do with the Muppets whereas Star Wars obviously like firmly anchored in science fiction and the inspirations from that are seen there and then <clears throat> when that makes its way into other popular other popular medium whether it's other TV or other movies it's always under that lens characters that love Star Wars talk about Star Wars Harry Potter is similar, whereas like the Harry Potter universe was created, obviously, as this one thing and then has spawned to become a, a much greater multi-headed thing. But it it's it's going to stay firmly in this like fantasy in the fantasy space, whereas Star Wars stays in the sci fi space and it can have other elements to it and other tendrils. Mupp the Muppets are not like that. The Muppets can do it all and they have which is what i'm literally about to get to next um before though 
this is also the so the next thing I want to get into is like the next three Muppet movies or like this really like the next era. Basically, you know, these three movies that came out in the 90s, but also at that time, um, the creators of two other Muppet things, you mentioned Alf and Dinosaurs that were on in the 80s and 90s, two things that would premiere in the in the aughts, Avenue Q and Forgetting Sarah Marshall, who will get to Jason Siegel in a, in a little bit later, were, you know, certainly coming of age, the creators of Avenue Q, the creators of Jason Siegel, who's our age, coming of age in the in the 90s watching all this stuff um gets into this next trio of muppet movies this next era first you have the muppet christmas carol which we could do an entire episode we probably will about the muppet christmas carol 1992 then you have muppet treasure island from 1996 and then muppets from space in 1999 which i love uh let's talk about the muppet christmas carol now, let me put this out there. How many do you know how many different variations of A Christmas Carol there are like on film? 312. That's pretty close. I think it's 312, actually. Um, there are a lot. I have watched almost all of them. My my ex-wife, her mother, this was their thing, was to collect and watch every version of A Christmas Carol. So I, in turn, have seen every version of A Christmas Carol. Now, there are some really great ones. There are some classic ones. Your Alistair Sims and your other guy, like the, those black and white movies. They're great. There's also some really weird ones like Henry Winkler. The Fonz was in a version of The Christmas Carol called An American Christmas Carol. And it's a it's a good movie. It's real dark, but it's a good movie. You should watch it if you like either a The Fonz or B. The, the story of A Christmas Carol. Um, quick, quick tangent. When do we ever do quick tangents? Tangent. Henry Winkler's mother used to live down the street from my grandmother, and they knew each other once. That's my story about that. Um, it was actually a quick tangent, but now <laughs> I have to counter with a Henry Winkler story. Please. I was at South by Southwest... And Henry Winkler was there and he would just pop up at things randomly. And he'd be like, okay, Henry Winkler's here. And also there, I can't think of his real name, Vern something. It was the, the guy that played Mini-Me. Vern Troyer. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was also there. And so we're on 6th Street. We're trying to wait to get into a venue to see. I don't, I don't yeah, yeah. And we see this hover round to zoom by and literally it's Henry Winkler on a hover round with mini me strapped to the back, riding behind him going wherever they're going. What? That's amazing. Um, that would not have been out of place in this movie, an American Christmas Carol, which again, I do encourage you to watch, uh, getting back to the Muppet Christmas Carol. So the Muppet Christmas Carol is is Michael Caine and then the Muppets. I mean, there are a couple other human actors in this film, but Michael Caine's the only important one with respect to all the other human actors. Uh, Kermit, of course, plays Bob Cratchit. Uh, Miss Piggy plays his wife. There's a tiny Tim. Uh, it's uh, it's just it's just the best Christmas Carol ever. This also this is also the proof of like the greatest like 
the greatest Twitter conversation thread of all time, which is replace all the do what you do the Christmas Carol, but for other movies, right, where you replace all the other actors with Muppets, except for one lead actor. And like Michael Caine in a Muppet Christmas Carol is the proof of why this works. So like some of my other favorites are um, even though it would never happen, uh, John Wick, which is also like a little bit into the Melissa McCarthy movie they tried to make where it was like R rated. Very R rated puppets. John Wick would be a fun one. Um, I think I think Back to the Future would be hilarious uh, with. Well, who would we? Sorry. In John Wick, I am also I'm obviously saying that Keanu Reeves stays in the movie and then everyone else is a Muppet Um, in Back to the Future. Probably Christopher Lloyd would have to be the human, right? Yeah. You leave Christopher Lloyd. Kermit becomes Marty. Oh, perfect. And it just it goes from there. Yeah. So this movie is just great. You take Michael Caine, you put him with some Muppets, you have instant comedy gold. There's, um, as what so often happened with movies of this era, there's a secret song that's not in every version of this movie. So like, because it's a Muppet movie and a Christmas movie, there's some singing involved. And depending on what version you watch, there's a song in it. But it's like the song is in the secret version. It's not in the regular. So it's like one of these hidden things. It's a bonus level of this song that's in this movie. Uh, just, just fantastic. What you then get right after this in 1996 is Muppet Treasure Island. So you go from Michael Caine, this like classically trained actor, he's doing his thing, he's all got Muppets around, to Tim Curry, another human Muppet acting with Muppets around. I think there's like one or two other humans in this film, but it's basically Tim Curry and Muppets, same premise as Michael Caine and Muppets, but you're telling this like, um, this famous story of Treasure Island based on the obviously the book by Robert Louis Stevenson and adapted into many other many other things. But you get like this fantastical uh, this fantastical Treasure Island story. Then you get into Muppets from Space from 1999. At this time, this is the last pre Disney movie. We'll talk about the Disney stuff in a sec because that comes actually a few years later. This but this was like the last pre Disney movie. It also for 1999 is pretty um, it's like a pretty up to date technologically wise film like there's special effects. There's um, lots of like visual effects that they do. It very much looks like a movie that was made to be made at that time, whereas Muppet Christmas Carol is intended to look old. It's intended to look like it's in Victorian England. Muppet Treasure Island, too, it t- all takes place like obviously in this like islandy landscape. But Muppets from Space very much takes place in suburbia um, with a lot like with lots of other things going on. This was the movie that also had. From what I remember, I haven't seen it in a while. But just more cameos, more like outright celebrity cameos that obviously would permeate the later Muppet projects. Uh, But amongst the other actors in this movie, they're all just amazing working opposite the Muppets, um, namely Jeffrey Tambor, who plays like a, I can't. It's kind of like an Area 51 scientist. He plays a scientist who's like doing research on Gonzo, but he's just amazing. Uh, so many other great, great cameos in this film. To continue our tradition and fitting Aaron Sorkin into everything that we do. 
in the first episode of Sports Night, they're sitting at the desk talking about things that are cool, things that aren't cool. And um, Casey asks Dan, who is played by Josh Charles, are Muppets still cool? And Josh goes, yes, Muppets were always cool. And it's because Josh Charles is in Muppets from Space. Well, Josh Charles is also a very smart man, so he would know that Muppets yes. are cool. But yes, also has a brief cameo in Muppets from Space. Um, I think he's there to like arrest Miss Piggy or like abduct Miss Piggy. Something to like, that's what's that's what's popping out in my head. But I love that movie a lot. It also, this is like my next big point about the Muppets is how much it... He, how much it humanizes the Muppets. And I think like this movie is a great example of that because all the previous Muppet movies, Muppets take Manhattan, though being the one exception because it got to like Muppets living real lives and then coming to New York and doing this thing. And they had jobs and they just all this other stuff. But the other movies are like, we made an adventure movie and we put the Muppets into it. Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island, Great Muppet Caper. Here's an adventure that we're just putting the Muppets into. Muppets from space, meanwhile, um, the Muppets are all, they have jobs. They have lives. Um, they're just doing their thing. When Gonzo gets the call, the, the ethereal call to, um, to find his people, and you get this amazing story of Gonzo searching for, searching for his people. And it gets, you get these conversations about how, like, <clears throat> Kermit knows he's a pig. Piggy knows... She, Kermit knows he's a frog. Yeah. Piggy knows she's a pig. Fozzie's a bear. Like you get these things, but like what's Gonzo? And it's just this great, like, it's just a great story about the eternal, the eternal struggle of finding one's place in the universe. In this case, literally in the universe, there's cosmic fish of knowledge, which are very cool in this movie. Um, it's, it's just great. And what it provides is just like this amazing story that the Muppets happen to be in. This is just more proof that you can put the Muppets in any kind of movie. And this is like a really heartfelt. It's this is very much like an E.T. kind of movie. It's just like a really heartfelt adventure movie that also has these like fantastical sci fi type elements <clears throat> when the aliens land on the beach at the end of the film. Oh, just so great. A couple of things that I found really interesting about this film, and I thought this. A good reference for people our age. Um, Joshua Jackson and Katie Holmes are both in this film. They and are. They, liter they literally play Pacey and Joey. Yes, they do. They're on the beach at the end. Really interesting. And the man who it's not the only character that he voiced, but he voices Sam the Eagle, which is the highly political person in the Muppets is played by a man named John Kennedy. <laughs> that's hilarious um by the way if you recall back from 40 minutes ago and sam and friends sam that character is very much like the pre the precursor for sam the eagle the muppet uh but yes joey and pacey are on that beach in the last scene just great my other fa their favorite thing is that in that last scene there is just a there's a muppet who's just walking around mouth agape like he's just on the like this is going to you and Lucy will appreciate this Our audio listeners, which is literally everybody else will not get this. But there's just the Muppet going like. Like he's just mouth open, just like in awe of what's happening. It's just great for you at home. Envision me with my mouth open, eyes wide, 
doing my best, like, oh my God, impression. That's what it was. Uh, since since you did mention um, Sam, my only input here about this is, did you guys know that there was a show in Magic Kingdom that they would do on the daily that includes included the Muppets? I did not know that. So in um, Liberty Square, it's right next to where the Hall of Presidents is. Um, there is a building that has three windows on the top. And for the majority of the day, they're closed. And then um, they stopped this actually like the month before COVID started. Um, But it was something that they were doing. I looked it up. They started it in 2016. Um, And then it was like a brief hiatus from October of 2019 to December of 2019. And then they had it open for a couple more months before it like was done. But it was literally um, Sam Eagle and uh, Miss Piggy. Um, Who else? I'm looking up to see. Uh, Kermit was there, uh, Fozzie and Gonzo, and they um, literally portrayed different characters and they're dressed kind of historically. Um, And it's them going through the great moments of history because that's literally what it's called. And they used to have like this little song that went with it and it was really cute and they would do it every single day. Um, And it was just like a fun little thing that if if you didn't know it was there, or you didn't walk by as it happened, you would have no idea that it existed. I love that. Now, speaking of things at Disney parks, this is the perfect segue because the Disney acquisition of the Muppet brand happens in 2004. But before we can get into that, I have to share my own Muppet story, which is uh, Muppet Vision 3D, which was the attraction at MGM. It will always be MGM Studios to me. Um, it's still there, right? According to Wikipedia, I think it's still there. It definitely it, is because I it did it two years ago. Yeah, it was okay. there two years ago when okay. I was there. So this first opened in 1991. I, I, I'm sure I've, ta- I think we've talked about Disney stuff elsewhere on this podcast, but my, um, my grandmother and I had other family that lived in Florida on my mom's side. And so we would just, that's where we would go every summer. And they happened to be near Orlando, which meant that we were basically at the Disney parks every summer. And so in 1991, that's what I'm 10 years old. So like for many, many summers, uh, we would be doing this trip every, every year. And the first thing I would always do is this attraction, the Muppet vision 3d slash 4d show. If you know, you know, uh, at MGM studios, it'll always be MGM studios. Don't at me. Um, this was the this was the closest I ever got to like interacting with the Muppets, you know, like my my dream, my goal in life is to one to like interact with the Muppets as well as to like to be a Muppet. Like if I could have a Muppet made of me that I could just have by me at all times, like I could have Josh and then little Josh, Muppet Josh. Well, that would be amazing if like Muppet Josh could attend meetings for me or just like pop up when I need him to. This this attraction as a youngster, this was the closest I ever got to being with the Muppets. Uh, and it's like the idea is that you're sitting in on this show that that Kermit and the gang are putting on. And it's actually in 40 because of like there's stuff that happens with the audience. And um, it was just it was just so magical. Like so much at Disney world is kitschy and corny, but it's good. Like it's, it's good for that reason. And this was very much right up there. Well, they also, the great part about this 
is this existed 20 years before 20 years, 15 years before this acquisition. And so like what you had prior to 2004 is the Muppet the Muppets as a franchise licensed out everywhere. Um, Sesame Street famously did this as well. Most of the money that Sesame Street makes is in licensing. It's not in, well, whatever else they would do. But so like on the Muppet side, the Muppets could exist everywhere, right? Like they were not characters that were owned by Disney. So like Mickey Mouse is not appearing in other parks, but the Muppets could because it was like, that was the deal. The Muppets licensed the the Disney licensed the characters from the Muppets and they created this whole attraction. Uh, I have not been in forever in a day. I need to go back to MGM the next time I'm in, I'm in the Orlando area and doing theme park stuff. But I just love that so much. I'm glad it's still there. It looks like the one in California closed, but the one in Florida is still there. You actually you you said the licensing thing. It's it's really it's really interesting because there was actually this idea that Jim Henson had himself where he was like, we're going to make a theme park like we're going to take this thing that we've created. We're going to take the Muppets and we're going to we're going to make a thing called Muppetville. And he eventually decided there's no way I can do this better than Walt Disney. Like he does so well, like the Disney corporation, they've nailed this in a way that they're going to make it so believable that in his original idea of making the park seven, um, I think that he would eventually start the process of handing off the idea to Disney in 89 Muppetville became Muppet land. And the idea was on the 36th anniversary of the park that the Muppets were going to come in. They were going to take over Disney because Mickey and all of the characters were tired from a year of hosting the 35th anniversary party for the park. (laughs) So the whole park was going to become Muppet related. Gonzo was going to fuck up the castle and they were just going to tweak everything in a way. And they started building this like really long before it was going to happen. There was like full page ads that were taken out newspapers, inviting people to do it. And they went all out. It was going to just be a Muppetized Disney. Um, Kermit was going to replace Disney as the head. Miss Piggy was going to take over as Cleopatra in the Small World ride. Animal was going to be in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Uh, And the 147 foot tall Matterhorn was going to be painted. Like they were going to go all out with this. And that is when the proposal for everything came out. 3D was originally proposed. Mm. Um, The collapse of the whole thing came a few years later when Jim Henson died they couldn't finalize everything in time for it to happen. And so it ended up just pausing for a bit because then the people who owned the state, there was like weird back and forth and it just, it halted forever until what did you say? 2004 when Disney finally acquired the Muppets. And that was mostly because at that point, the Muppet brand had fallen so far that like they needed the money that they they were like, you guys can probably do a better job with this 
than we can. Please try to bring this brand back. Here you go. So it's sad to think that there could have been like an entire year where like Disney was a Muppet theme park can and I, it just didn't happen. Can I fact check you for one second? Did you sure. say this was at both parks or just at one park? Just one park. Matterhorn is Disneyland. Well, Disney then World. Wikipedia has it incorrect. <laughs> There's another, so, I, whatever the other mountain is at in Orlando, I assume would have been the mountain in question. Yeah, that's the only reason. That's the only thing that I was confused about because Matterhorn Disneyland is the only place that has that. Well, it explains why it's not linked to anything. It's not because <laughs> fair enough. But it's on here. This is not on me. You guys can Muppet.fandom.com no, the... <laughs> backslash wiki backslash Muppetland, and it says it on the site. Coming for you, wiki I, fandom of the Muppets. I think I think everything else you said. Sounds factually correct. I just knew that Matterhorn is where I lost it. Um, but also, I mean, you're right about them taking over Disney in general, because in Hollywood Studios, there was a plan to expand because MGM. I'm sorry, Lucy, you mean MGM Studios. I know. I'm reading the article. It says Hollywood Studios. In the back of my mind, it will always be MGM. The only reason why I also it's hard to say that now is because all of the good stuff of what MGM was is gone. Um, this is kind of like one of the things left that is yeah. still there. Like I had not been to this park in over 10 years and going back, this was one of the few things that was still there. Um, but apparently they had actually intended to expand it when the great movie ride was still there. They were going to include a Muppets version of it and added an additional attraction. But then when Jim Henson died, it also got put on hold, so it didn't happen. Um, but it it is interesting to see how they had planned on doing all of these things because Disney is very like Josh was mentioning. They do they they are very good with making things fit a theme, and so to have something like that where they would take over certain things would have been really cool to see. Um, I do like though at least that Muppet Vision 3D and uh, Pizza Rizzo is still a thing at Disney World. Just the best. What? Pizza Rizzo owes me an apology. Because <laughs> I traveled my ass all the way there for it not to be open. Yeah, I think they were refurbishing or something. No, they were just not open because no. nobody likes the Muppets anymore. You were, you were very disappointed when you found out that it was closed. Disappointed is a really nice way of saying angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be kind. All right. The Disney acquisition occurs in 2004. It's then uh, seven years later that we get the first of the, this next chunk of Muppet things. Um, I'm sure there are missing things in the timeline, but like the big things that I pulled out, 2011, you get the next movie, The Muppets. That's the Jason Siegel movie. The premise, the premise is very much like what you would expect for somebody who's our age, which is somebody who's trying to save the Muppet theater. And then... That movie I think I have seen, but I definitely don't remember it. And then a few years after that, they made Muppets Most Wanted, which I have definitely not seen. I don't know if it's any good. Um, but then the last piece of this era of the Muppets, one that I loved was the Muppets uh, sitcom. Uh, well, would you call it a sitcom? They basically made the Muppets version of The Office. This came out in 2015. It was even called The Muppets in lowercase, just like The Office, like in all lowercase letters. And it was, again, like them, I'm pretty sure it was like a 
something having to do in Hollywood. I can't remember if they were putting on a show or what the idea was, but it was like this behind the scenes, like mockumentary look of the Muppets and their daily lives and them in this business. And it was just great. Like it was the perfect format for the Muppet characters in the 21st century, because you got to see them as and walk with me out on this ledge, real people as if they were having real jobs and real relationships. The thing that people apparently hated about the show was that Miss Kermit and Miss Piggy weren't together. But like, it's not, it's not the same, right? Like you can't break Minnie and Mickey up. Like that's not going to happen. But like, if you'll continue out on this ledge with me, Kermit and Miss Piggy are just their own people. They're going to do their own thing. Like they, they never had to be together forever in this like fantasy relationship, which if you ever watched anything from the Muppets in 40 years, you would know that that's not their relationship. And so it was like really annoying that this is what people's bone to pick with the show was. Um, it unfortunately got canceled. There's only like 17 or 18 episodes, which are also on Disney Plus, which I will definitely be going to watch. But there's this great like relationship subplot between Miss Piggy and Josh Groban. It's fantastic. Um, the show was really good. Um, unfairly canceled, mostly because I think I was the only one that watched it. So it had like a, you know, like a, a Nielsen rating of one. And that one was me. Um, but you got getting back to what we're talking about Muppets from Space. This was the next iteration of Muppets as real people and with real feelings and real emotions and just like living their lives. And they just happened to be Muppets that, you know, Kermit and Fozzie and Miss Piggy and they're all just here living their lives. Bunsen and Beaker, Scooter, they're just doing their thing. It just so happens they're also in our world, in our universe, in this case, in Hollywood, doing production stuff. Um, just very sad that it got canceled. Um, one one quick thing. Sorry to interrupt. I did double check this. It's possible Josh said this before, and I was just tuned out because I was looking into the um, Muppet 3D vision stuff to find out fun facts the Muppet Land article I looked it up that you're talking about is correct they were talking about Disneyland it says it in it Disneyland is in California so Matterhorn was correct so apologies to Muppet.fandom.com for calling you out because you were correct I just wanted to clear the air before you continued but please go ahead I'm not sorry cite your sources me no Muppet.fandom.com Muppet.fandom they're they're correct. That's my point. I thought yeah. you were talking about Disney World. Put a link to it. They didn't put a link to it. It's their fault, okay. not yours. Okay. Uh, there is yes. There so there's been like other Muppet stuff since. There's um there was a Disney Plus show that came on last year that I haven't watched. Um, I don't know if they're making another season of it. Um, when Disney bought them, their YouTube, their YouTube channel became amazing. They did such a good job with their YouTube where they would take old songs and redo them as Muppet songs. And Love just it. it was so good. The four chickens in the background of Gonzo <laughs> doing Queen is fucking flawless. Um, Beaker doing Ode to Joy was pretty good. There's just. There's classic, brilliant Muppet stuff. And they, they use their social media in a brilliant way, too, which is something they did before. The rollout of Kermit and Miss Piggy getting divorced before the show, like, 
the media blitz of that, like having Slate cover it as like an actual news article, like the marketing behind it was brilliant. It's it was it was uh, the death of Mr. Peanut before the death of Mr. Peanut. Which also was way was taken like way overblown than what it needed to be, just like the breakup of Kermit and Piggy. So anyway, so now we're into this modern era of the Muppets. I don't know what I don't know what will come of them next. I don't know what the next thing will be. Um, I would love for there to be, you know, more of this like Muppet show variety show stuff, which I think is what Muppets now the new the latest show is a version of. Uh, I would love for them to actually like continue that. I don't know if they will. We'll find out. Stay tuned. But it's just. It is this universal, ever present. Almost always non. um, It almost always holds up. It just so happened that the episode I clicked on the Steve Martin one of The Muppet Show from 1977, whenever season two was airing. It it's preempted by a slate that says, like, you know, this episode contains harmful racial stereotypes. And rather than remove the episode, we want to leave it up as like an important like learning thing. Like that's what that's what a lot of uh, movies and TV properties have done rather than just remove stuff altogether. In this one episode, it's actually Steve Martin who does like like a not very flattering Chinese accent in one of the bits. So, like, understandable that they would want to put that there. Um, Other than that, the Muppets are a franchise that just exists throughout time and space, literally throughout time and space, that they're always they're always there for us when we need us. Um, Speaking of being always there for us, my last big point about the Muppets before we get into some other things is about Statler and Waldorf. Now, Statler and Waldorf, if you have seen any Muppet properties, you know that they are the two in the balcony, always providing their own commentary and jokes about whatever's going on. Statler and Waldorf are both characters in the show, in the sea, in the universe, but they are also the audience. But they're, what is ironic about Statler and Waldorf is that they're what they're the outcome is always the opposite of their intended purpose. So like their intended purpose in the show is just to like heckle what's happening on stage. But the outcome is that we just love the show even more. And so it's like it's just you get this perfect, like very meta thing where you have this universe of the Muppets and then you have Statler and Waldorf, which exist outside of that universe, but not quite in our universe, commenting on the Muppet universe in this very meta circular kind of way. And then you have us over here who are taking in the Muppet universe and taking in the Statler and Waldorf universe. And like it gets combined and mushed into this one thing. And so you have this, You have this thing and you have the commentary about the thing before you even get to our commentary about the thing. Nothing else does that. Like there's no other there's no other thing that exists where you have this level of like meta commentary happening within the universe at the same time. And it's just it's just another piece of brilliance, another thing that can only be 
emulated. It can't be recreated. It can't be, you can't make, you can't do this again. You can only do it once. And it only exists here in Statler and Waldorf. Period. I think that they're my favorite characters. I think that they are characters that are non-essential to the show in some ways. Like you could do the Muppet show without, but I think the fact that they thought to do it is what makes them so brilliant. Like I love that they included hecklers. I think it's just the perfect addition to the show and their names are brilliant. I love where the names came from. It's really smart. Yeah. They come from, um, from hotels in New York city. I think the closest analog to this is uh, mystery science theater 3000 because in that that's presented though as being in our universe like it's the hosts with his robot companions in our universe like it's not presented in another thing and they're watching movies and they're doing commentary and so you know imagine imagine a mystery science theater 3000 episode about the muppets i that would i would lose my mind because then you would have like even more layers to dig through. Um, they're actually they are actually connected unofficially. Um, I was actually just reading that Mystery Science Theater was directly inspired. Like the idea came to the creators because he was inspired by what these two characters were doing. And he was like, how do I turn this into a thing? And Mystery Science Theater came out of it. I believe it. Oh, man. So much great, so much great Muppet content. Uh, And this is just this is just a small piece of this. You know, there's how the Muppets exist outside of the TV and film world. However present they are everywhere. Um, That another big so another big piece of this is obviously the Sesame Street connection. Sesame Street is a whole thing unto itself. Again, this partnership between the Jim Henson Company and what's currently called Sesame Workshop, which was formerly called the Children's Television Workshop, to create this empire, uh, this educational empire, which um, has just like expanded to literally global reaches. Uh, Here's my fun little Sesame Street story for you. So in addition to growing up watching Sesame Street at home, uh, the American version, I would also twice a week watch the Israeli version of Sesame Street at Hebrew school. Um, so if you grew up, uh, Jewish, then you obviously know what Hebrew school is where like you're ostensibly training to, until you're bar bat mitzvah from the ages of like nine to 13 or eight to 13. I don't remember how long I went, probably eight. Um, if you had like a, what's the Christian thing? Uh, there's a, there's an. What's the Catholic thing? That like, yeah, it's the Catholic what's thing. The CCD confirmation? Confirmation. Yes, confirmation. Confirmation. I think it's similar there. Obviously, I, I was trying. I was trying to figure out what exactly you were referring I don't to. No, that would that would be kind of the closest thing because you typically do that anywhere from like seventh to eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Hebrew school from the ages of eight to thirteen uh, would watch the Israeli version of Sesame Street, and so there are, I think, there's like twenty something international versions. Uh, and so these have they share some characters, but there's also characters unique to each region. Uh, and so I also got to watch this other version of Sesame Street all the time, which was just great. 
So it was like teaching you in this Israeli version, right? It teaches you about like Israeli and Jewish culture and music, as well as some Hebrew, naturally. Um, but it was just it was just such a fun thing uh, to see growing up these two versions of Sesame Street side by side that very much existed with like within the same universe. Uh, another my other fun Sesame Street story is the best thing that I never did at work at my old job was um, Sesame Street partnered with the International Rescue Committee, where I used to work to do this like Sesame Street thing in Jordan, not in Jordan, I'm sorry, in Lebanon for Syrian children, Syrian refugees. And so there's this great uh, it was on 60 Minutes. There's this great thing about like the Sesame Street characters going to this refugee camp in Lebanon and all these Syrian children just having a blast with the Muppets. Uh, it was just that was the coolest thing I never got to work on at that job. Um, I got to promote it a little bit. Uh, but obviously, I didn't make that happen. The uh, um, because of that work, actually, that um, the IRC and Sesame Workshop were the joint recipients of a hundred million dollar grant from the MacArthur Foundation um, because of that work they were doing. And that obviously allowed them to do much more educational work for refugees in um, the Middle East. I got distracted because the Jim Henson Muppet Company is high. Sorry. Um, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I was like, does this exist? Do people still work there? Do they have jobs? And they do. Um, and I was reading what this would do. Um, so if anybody else needs a job, there are jobs available from the Jim Henson Muppet Company. Go hug Muppets. And tell, like, them, tell them that you sent, tell them that we sent you. Yes. And then they'll be like, who are these Untitled Josh casts? And why are they sending us recruits? Let us let it's them gonna, know. It's going to be like Fozzie at the front desk going, I don't know who these people are. Whatever. I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting that like, it's cool that you got to work with that. It's cool that you got to experience that. It, it's funny that it instantly made me type into my computer, Jim Henson jobs, because it's cool that that's a thing that you got to interact with. I don't think that's something that people would get to do every day. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it was just, you know, the um, at whatever year that happened, not the award, whatever year like this partnership started, there was like a whole Elmo thing at our holiday party, because like then it just became like, all right, well, now we're just going to have Muppet stuff everywhere. Uh, It wasn't everywhere, of course, but there was. um, Oh, my God, I think was it a big bird? I don't think. I think there was a big stuffed big bird in the office too somewhere. I can't, I think that's right. But anyway, it just became this thing and it was just, you know, again, it wasn't anything that I worked on, but I made me immensely proud to work there. And it still makes me proud to have come from there. Um, that it was growing up, obviously how much Sesame street meant for me. And I, there's no way I would ever be able to like experience what, refugee children are experiencing right now but to know that there's this through line of having sesame street and like these characters and like what that can do for you as a kid just needing education um it's pretty it's pretty universal it's pretty impactful i think we're actually gonna i've thought about this there was more that i was gonna add there's a josh by it so you guys can listen to that later if you're still listening three and a half hours into this podcast where we are right now but it, it is it is really interesting how 
these things and these characters and these creations from this one man can impact not only an entire generation, but like generations later, it's kind of similar. I find it similar to like what Mr. Rogers did, how like, you know, what, what's it been at this point, 10 years since his death? Like he's still impacting entire generations of kids who were never alive at a time when he was. And it's pretty amazing that like Jim Henson has had that ability to do so. It's and amazing. he's made great, great jokes. Like he created the David Bowie package joke from Labyrinth. <laughs> from like Labyrinth, it's, yeah. there's just, it's unreal how many different ways he impacted pop culture. Uh, 2003 is when Fred Rogers died. So but even a like lot more than 10 years, if you had said 10 years, I'd been like, yeah, that's probably right. But the fact that it's been almost 20 is just further proof of that. That like yeah. you and I obviously grew up with Mr. Rogers. He'll never be that far out of reach. It's it's amazing. You can only hope that what you do with your job and your life and your impact can, you know, be that good for the world. And I think that's what we all kind of strive to be. At least it's what the three of us strive to be. I don't know that I can speak for all of humanity in in that, but I think it's great that there are these people that we grew up looking up to that I think kind of made us that. Just to further, just to further emphasize that point, there is an asteroid named after Mr. Rogers. Like that's, that's cool. That's like, that's the level, that's the level I aspire to. Yeah, that is cool. I was thinking about it the other day. I think if the timing of it is obviously not something that could have, but I would have liked to have seen Mr. Rogers host Jeopardy. Oh I man, that would have been cool. Wow. That would have been great. I would love to see Fred Rogers hosting Jeopardy. Oh. That said, I also would have liked to have seen Gonzo host Jeopardy. Oh, that's don't tease me. Um, all right. This has been a fantastic episode all about the Muppets. Uh so much going through their history and my many, many thoughts and feelings about them. I'm trying to think of what my next thing is going to be. I'll probably going to go watch the Jason Siegel movie and see if I like it. I have like a hard time with this because like while I was just saying, I love that TV series that came after these two movies. I don't know how I feel about the movies. I don't know. I think I might be my next watch at some point. And then maybe I'll report back in. I think okay. I've actually seen it at some point, but I don't remember it. So I've definitely never seen the second one. The first one's really good. And added bonus, you get Amy Adams being Amy Adams. Oh, I have a great story That's about that. Um, so th- like this movie very much came about because Jason Siegel wanted to do a Muppet movie, which God bless him. If I had that kind of power, you know damn well, I'd be wanting to do a Muppet movie too. So he gets this movie approved and then it gets to like, what happens in Hollywood is that like actors get to pick their other fellow actors. Sometimes, obviously I'm not saying in all cases in this case, um, Jason Siegel and Kermit made a video and they sent it to Amy Adams to recruit her to be in this movie. So it's like a little, like imagine putting on a thing and it's like, hi, I'm Jason Siegel and this is my friend Kermit. Won't you be in this movie with us? Like, how do you say no to that? The answer is you don't say no to that. Or if you do, I don't want to know who you are. 
it's just no way you say no to that. There's no way you say no to that. Um, and I love Amy Adams and like, that's like, there's, uh, I'm just nervous. I'm nervous. Right. It's this thing I love. You shouldn't be. It's not bad. Okay. Like as the ultimate, like Muppet snob, you should, it's not bad. Um, I, we'll talk about this off thing. There's going to be some things that you're not stoked about, but otherwise like it's, it's, it's it's pretty good. Um, imagine showing up to work one day as Amy Adams and just going through your, okay. All right. Movie. Okay. The fuck I have an email from Kermit and like, it's just like a thing that happened that you didn't expect when you woke up and got your coffee at Starbucks that morning. Like, that's amazing. That's so cool. I want that to happen. If that ever happened to me, I would have an out of body experience. Like I'm sitting at my desk right now where I sit every day for work. So it'd be like me here clicking on the email. I would instantly fall over like backwards. And then my body would just float behind me, looking over my shoulder, reading the email. And then my my ethereal form would die. And then my second ethereal form would be like, Josh, get your shit together. You need to respond to Kermit right now. Like that's the level. That's the level here we're talking about. This has been fun. I think, I think that's fair. I think that's um, a fair reaction. It's not an overreaction. Lucy, Lucy I know has her finger yes. either raised or up her nose. I know you have some important things to share with us that we either missed or got wrong or that are just Muppet adjacent. So First of all, it was not up my nose. Well, the it camera was, angle, when you put it like this, it looks like it's up your... Okay. <laughs> um, I don't have any um, fun facts or or not... Let me rephrase that. I don't have any corrections um, because for the most part, we were just kind of doing as we want. But there are two interesting, interesting things that I wanted to bring up. One, there is a Jim Henson biopic that is currently in the works oh. um, for Disney um, and the Jim Henson Company. Um, and it's, uh, a, it's currently under development in development. Um, it's a live action film that's supposed to chart the life and times of, um, of him and, um, kind of go into like his full journey and his backstory. And, um, it's apparently been in the works for a while, but they are now moving, actually moving forward with it. Um, asked him? it does not say. I'm available. They had chosen they had chosen um, Michael Mitnick to write the biopic, so that's where they're at at the moment. From an article at the beginning of the month, the other thing, or not the beginning of the month, sorry, from a few days ago, the article, however, from the beginning of the month, which is the other thing that I wanted to bring and I thought could be a fun way to end this, was there was an NPR article that went up on April second that said that was titled "A Ruthless Ranking of the Twenty Five Best Muppets According to Listeners." So I wanted to see if you guys could guess, according to listeners, who the top three are. Um, also, before you actually make, take your guesses, if you'd like to, they did say that they had um, some ground rules. The ground rules were any Muppet from any property or era was eligible. Um, all variations of a Muppet character in a group was also included. So if Gonzo, it, Gonzo the Great, Gonzo from Muppet Babies also counts. It's just Gonzo altogether. What is your question? When we say Muppet, are we using Muppet in you, you we're using out. a Muppet creation 
So because technically, place, nope, nope. There's more. And there's more rules. This game my sucks. The rules. Some Muppets were counted um, as a set. So Statler and Waldorf are a set. Um, others can potentially be individual. It all depends. Um, the Fraggles from Fraggle Rock were counted individually. What? They disqualified any any puppets that are not Muppets, including Yoda and the cast of Avenue Q. Yeah, How fine. is Yoda not a Muppet, but Yo- a Fraggle is a Muppet? Because Yoda was, Yoda's not a Muppet. Captain Neither is a Fraggle. No, but the Fraggles were created by Jim Henson. Yoda was not. So what they meant was anything part of the Jim Henson universe. The Muppet Show, Muppet by- Babies, Fraggle Rock, Sesame Street, Labyrinth, etc., Muppet from any property or, or, or era. They have to actually be referred to as a Muppet. Um, also, none of the human actors in Muppet movies were included. Okay, so what you're asking for is who were the voted as the best three or the most, is that what it is? Yeah, so it's a list of, of the top 25 that was voted by the Pop Culture Happy Hour listeners of NPR. Okay. Um, there were over 18,000 votes casted, and they had over 150 different Muppets that were uh, included in this initially. Um, so there are 25. I figured asking you guys to choose or to, to see if you could figure out the top three would be fun, maybe. I don't know. There are more, but I just figured maybe the top three. Top five most popular people's choice Muppets, including the entire Muppet Society, which includes Labyrinth. Yes. Kermit, Gonzo, Animal, Beaker, and Ralph. Um, Gersh, would you like to, t- to make your guesses before I state them? Well, I would add, so I think Piggy's got to be in the top five. Um, Bunsen for me is a top five Muppet. Uh, Beaker's Dr. Wait, no, Beaker. I'm sorry. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew is great, but Beaker for me is a top five Muppet. Uh, forgive me for mixing them up. It's just like he's, oh God, just the, just the perfect foil for everything that happens on that, on, in the Muppet universe. Uh, <clears throat> Again, Statler and Waldorf, who I think we're counting as a set also, they have to be up there. Um, Fozzie, Josh, I don't think you mentioned Fozzie, did you? But like, the, no, that would be up there for me. If one I was, of two that I'm second guessing myself on now. If I was going to do my own top five in no particular order, but just if I was like, these are the my five. Kermit. Fozzie. Statler and Waldorf. Beaker. Who's the fifth? Hmm. It might be Sweetums. Sweetums might be in my top five. I love Sweetums. Because like, yeah, I think that would be my top five. Sweetums is just great. Like he's the biggest Muppet of them all. Josh, which one did you say would be your guess? The top five? Kermit. Gonzo. Beaker, Animal, and Ralph. Yeah, I would say Ralph, Animal, Gonzo, just right outside of that top five for me. So Hamcat would be correct. Um, One was Kermit, two was Gonzo, three was Animal, four was Beaker, five was Ralph. 
Wow. Nailed it. So that was pretty spot on. Um, they would not be my five favorite. Miss Piggy was eight. Um, Statler and Waldorf were 10. That's a low ranking for them. That's a um, low. Haters. Sweetums was 19. Nice. Um, and that is it from the ones you have named. Man. The be- one of the best scenes in Muppets Take Manhattan is a Sweetums scene. It's where Kermit and Fozzie are going to buy a car and they're at the like the used car lot. And the guy, whoever is whoever is like owns the used car lot, which I'm sure is like a celebrity cameo that I'm spacing on right now. But he's like, Jack, come over here and do this thing. And Sweetums goes, Jack, not name Jack job. It's just hilarious. That was a spot on Sweetums impression, by the way. Um, Doesn't get better than that. All right. This has been delightful. There's not many things I love more than talking about the Muppets. And this has just been great. I cannot wait to just watch more Muppet stuff. I mean, I've been really enjoying just even just today watching the old Muppet show episodes from the 70s and 80s. Uh, there's just such oh God, they're just so good. All right. Yes, you're making a face. So the rep's 19. Yeah. Yeah. Unacceptable. Oh, you mean on this list? Mm-hmm. I thought you'd been like age wise. I'm like, he's a rat. How old is the rat supposed <laughs> to be? Yeah. Elmo uh, is 22. I don't have a problem with also, that. Wait, for the record. I take that back. Rizzo was not 19 because uh, 19 was Sweetums. Where's Rizzo? Rizzo? Rizzo was 12. Okay. That's a little closer. I can deal with 12. <laughs> um, I can probably think of 11 Muppets better than Rizzo. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Before I sign us off, was Swedish Chef on this list, or does that not count because he's like a Muppet human hybrid? He was nine. Oh he's wow, perfect. That's actually higher than I would have expected. I'm not mad at it, but higher than I would have expected. Correct. Okay, that's amazing. In honor <laughs> of Swedish Chef, I mean, not really because I'm just hungry anyway. But in thinking about Swedish Chef, I'm going to go eat something because I am hungry. Um, until next time, waka waka, everybody. Goodbye. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts and or follow on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you happen to listen. Those things would really help us out. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at JoshCastPod, and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash untitledjoshcast. This show is written and hosted by me, Josh Gershman, and Josh Hammond. It is edited by me, and it is produced by Isabella Stade and Lucy Benetti. The podcast intro music is Gemini by Alki, and the outro music is Cautious by Amorosa. Both appear on the Untitled Joshcast with permission from the artists. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Untitled Joshcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Ooh, I got to be cautious.